Abba Father, thank you for the grace you've shown today. Again, thank you for your name. Your name is above every name. Your name is a strong tower. Uh, your name gives us hope. And I'm asking that your hope would be like an anchor to our souls right now. Thank you for the hope of Revelation 21. And I ask you to give us a deeper insight into what this is about right now, please. Thank you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we got some of those pumping in here. So everybody turn to uh, Revelation 21. We're going to start at verse 9. And here's Jennifer Burgess. So, okay. Um, so, um, let's look. We've got uh, a section that's going to deal with the architecture and uh, this, this idea, this, these spatial ideas about this new Jerusalem that's coming down. And hey, Jennifer, and here's what uh, I want to begin with. Um, reading from verse 9 on down, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me saying, come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone as a stone of crystal clear jasper. It had a great and high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and names were written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east, and three gates on the north, and three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were the 12 names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its walls. The city is laid out as a square and its length is as great as the width. And he measured the city with a rod, 1,500 miles its length and width and height are equal. It's a cube. But it doesn't seem that big. Uh, 1,500 miles in one direction. <laughs> yeah. It's a big cube. We'll look at it just in a minute, Jan. And he measured its wall 72 yards according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. The material of the wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundation stones of the city walls were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone was jasper, the second sapphire, and the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysosphase, chrysoprase, and the eleventh um, jacinth and the twelve amethyst and the twelve gates were twelve pearls each one of the gates was a single pearl and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass okay mind blowing now again you know we have to wrestle and Janice I know you're aware of this we have to wrestle with the ideas of um, when you interpret the book of Revelation literally, and when you interpret it figuratively and metaphorically, and um, if it's 1,500 miles, that's pretty literal. That's pretty literal, you know exactly. Uh, that's a big, that's a big chunk of real estate. Uh, Carol, you're a realtor, you know, a 1,500, uh, you know, that's square mile cube. That's the city. No, that's just the city. That's just the city, right. And, you know, you're looking in all directions and going, ah, oh, uh, 1,500 miles up. How tall is Mount Everest? 29,038 feet. I think it's actually been remeasured, and maybe the official 
measurement is 29029. Uh, yeah. So just over 29,000 feet. How many miles is that? Uh, Roughly. Five, there's four and a half. Close, five and a half. Five and a half miles up, Mount Everest. Appreciate that. <laughs> five and a half miles up. This New Jerusalem is 1,500 miles up. It's a cube. Some scholars argue that this is, uh, is there a ceiling? it's the imagery of perfection. Imagery of perfection. Yeah. It's big. It's real big. Yeah, exactly. So let's walk through and see what we can discover. And to me, there's some beautiful touching language here. Verse 9, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues. Let's appreciate the intensity of that statement. Can you imagine being one of the seven angels and your job is to pour out one of the bowls of the seven plagues? And we're talking intense, messianic, militaristic activity that relates to the judgment of God uh, on earth, on humans. This angel gets to do this now. His new assignment, come here and I'll show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. <laughs> How's that for a beautiful assignment? To go from he was responsible to pour out the judgment of God so now he's saying, hey, I want to show you something that will blow your mind. She's beautiful beyond description. I want to show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Now, by the way, a quick comment. If you look at verse 2, when John says, this is the second time he sees the holy city, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. So city first, then bride. Well, down below in verse 9, it flips. Bride first, then city. Why? Well, some say that, that uh, it's kind of like what happens in Ephesians 5. Is Paul talking about a husband and a wife or the bride of Christ and, the, and Jesus? The answer is yes. It's both. <laughs> so which one is it? The bride or the, the new Jerusalem? Yes, it's both. And the idea here is there's a mysterious integration between people and a place. They're somehow integrated people in place, something beautiful, okay? And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city of Jerusalem. Does that, do you hear an echo in that text? He took me to the high mountain and showed me a magnificent city, Philip? Moses, when he got away from the promised land. Moses, absolutely, yeah. Also when the devil tempted Yeah, yeah, when the devil tempted And also the temptation. So this is interesting. Yeah. Now think about this for just a moment, appreciate it again that um, in Matthew 4, it's also in Luke 4, uh, Matthew records that Satan took Jesus to a high mountain and showed him all the glories, plural, of the kingdoms. Like you're getting, you're getting to look at all the world and all its glory. Now you and I don't appreciate that from the perspective of Matthew because from the perspective of Revelation, we're talking about Babylon. We're talking about the beast, the economic system, all that comes to form the Greco-Roman world under the oppressive influence of Rome and all its glories, okay? So Satan is showing Jesus that. And Jesus says, no, no. We're to worship, we're to worship God, you know, and, and seek after him. And yet, in, now in verse 10, and he carried me away, the spirit, to a great high mountain, and now I see the city that really matters, <laughs> the city of God, the bride, not the city of the beast, Rome. And this bride, she's beautiful, she's the wife of the lamb, and she has the glory of God 
and her brilliance is like a very costly stone, a stone of crystal clear jasper. And then uh, this, this high, great and high wall uh, with 12 gates, we really don't know how high the, the wall is. We don't know. It's not clear. What we do know about this wall is that it is evidently, evidently 72 yards, verse 17. And he measured its wall 72 yards. Now here's a question. Is that 72 yards thick or 72 yards tall? It doesn't say. The New International says thick. Yes, some supply it, but it actually doesn't say. The Greek text does not say it. Why would it need to be that thick if there's no enemies? So maybe it's height. That's the point. Very, very good. Now you think about it. If the height is 1,500 yards what is a 72-yard wall in proportion to that distance? Almost nothing. That's like laying a, a, a toothpick or a, a, a pin needle next to me as I'm standing here or something. Absurd, absurdly small. Okay. So the whole point, Jan, is it's not one of, of safety in a practical sense, but it's one of saying the city is... It's not vulnerable because God is there. And it, it doesn't need a massive defensive system of protection because God is there. Yeah. And so the wall is, is rather minuscule. You think 72 yards up compared to 1,500 miles up? So even if it's thick. Even if it's feet up, it's always Yeah. Either way, it's still very insignificant. So, um, so we don't know. And. Uh, and then it begins to describe uh, the gates and 12 angels at each gate. It's beautiful. Verse 14, the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Does that remind you of something that Jesus said in Matthew? Can you think of that? Um, Janice or anybody, Andrea, Jennifer, can you think of something in Matthew 16 that's an echo here? that the names of the apostles are inscribed on the stone, or verse 14, described, inscribed on the stones. Peter said, you are the Christ, son of the living God. And Jesus said what? Change his name. Flesh and blood, right, you'll no longer be called um, Simon, I'm not going to call you Peter. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. What did he say about, about the church? On this rock. Yeah. So a lot of people have wondered, what is the rock? What's the Catholic interpretation of the Matthew 16 text? The Pope is the rock. Right. But another interpretation, the classic Protestant interpretation, is that it's Peter's confession that is the foundation. And that's why all 12 are those who are confessing what the gospel is about. And that's why the church is foundational to the gospel, is what that means. Okay. And then the measuring. Um, I want to share the screen. Let's see if this is going to work. And bear with me. Here's screen share. Let's go to this. Okay. You should see it. You ready? Let's appreciate something here. Get this down. Um, Sorry, if you can imagine uh, the United States being two-thirds of the United States being covered, two-thirds of the United States being covered by a 1,500-mile square surface area. Or the Utah. <laughs> we're not going to, you know, the Mormons, I'm not sure if they're going to get in. Yeah. So, so we're, you got to just appreciate how big that is, Okay. Now let's get a little more perspective here. Um, 
This is an interesting fact. There were some scholars that poured a lot of research into this, and this is what they demonstrated, that the known world from the Greek perspective, that surface area basically is the known world for the average Greek in that day. Right, absolutely. So in other words, in other words, John's description of the New Jerusalem as a bride is basically the size of the average perception of the known world of the average Greek, the average Roman. In other words, a single city of God is bigger than or equal to, yeah, it, it's, it's really magnificent, so huge, huge, now this is a, not a technical model by any stretch, but you do appreciate this picture right here. That's a lot of surface area, and especially when you're going up. Now, Galen, I'm not a geophysicist, and I don't know if that city weighs a lot. I'm imagining it does, and it may cause the Earth to, to tip off its axis and cause all kinds of problems. And, and when the new Earth is created, as the new heaven is created, I don't know if God expands the actual surface mass of, of planet Earth, and it becomes much larger than, than we have right now. I don't know. But anyway, I wanted you to see that. He can do all of that. He can make it not tilt. <laughs> yes, yes, very good. Okay, uh, we should do that. Can you guys see me okay? Yeah, I think we're back online. So, uh, all right. A couple more things. Um, you know, the description of the stones is absolutely beautiful. Uh, if you want to research those, it's magnificent what the colors are. And almost, it almost represents the spectrum of light in the rainbow. And you have all the 12 stones together. It's really beautiful. Now, what we might not be aware of, these are the same stones that are in the breastplate of the high priest. Okay. So the imagery here uh, causes us to, to think that, you know, the stones aren't on the, the chest piece of a high priest that's exclusive just to one man, it's now on the, it's not the priestly garments are now the city and everybody's inside the city. And so it's like, we are all priests. We all have this exclusive access because as you were in Judaism, that the high priest was the only one that was allowed in once a year in the Holy of Holies. And now we get to live in the Holy of Holies and we, we have the access it's beautiful language of acceptance. We miss some of these things from the Jewish perspective. Uh, verse 21, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. How do you get your mind around that one, Jan? You know, how tall is this wall? If, if it's 144 cubits tall, 72 yards up, that's a big pearl. That's a real big pearl. Again, so if this is metaphorical language, if it's spiritual language, and we need to see it in, in those terms, then we don't have the problem of working around a pearl that's 72 yards tall, you know, or actually bigger than that, much bigger than that, to actually be carved out and make a gate out of it. It's not a problem. Now, but again, I'm, I am a supernaturalist. I believe God has miracles, and God wants a pearl, that's that's a hundred yards up, and it can be fashioned again. That's I believe it can happen. Well, if there's no sea, that means all the stuff that was down there. That's a big clam. That's a big clam. <laughs> <laughs> really clam. Stay away from the clams. Um, you know, God. I have no problem with God doing this. Literally, I have no problem with that at all. I think theologically, what God is saying is that Rome is nothing in comparison to the New Jersey. That's the point. Rome is nothing. You think, you think the palace of the emperor was glorious? No. No, it says nothing. No. I, I, you know, I can only imagine those stones. And, and, and what do we know about sunlight in this new Jerusalem? There 
Exactly. God's there, right? So it's like the very presence of God lights up the place. I cannot imagine what that kind of light would look like as it strikes those kinds of translucent stones. It would be beautiful. Beautiful beyond description, certainly. Okay. All right. So let's turn it over to you all. So there's no nighttime. Evidently. Which sounds scary because I enjoy sleep, Terry. You know, you get tired after a while. We need sleep. If we get a new body, we get to walk through walls. I've always wanted to fly. That'd be awesome. So, all right. I just think it's amazing how the angels showed them all this, but I don't think it's an actual literal interpretation that, you know, this is what the city's going to be. I think it's, as you were saying, trying to put it in, uh, wrap it around his mind, the scope, how it's beyond our comprehension. Right. And to put something that's beyond your comprehension to a linear, you know, person that's that's very temporary, I mean, very uh, uh, limited on thinking and, and, and coming up with it, even in your dreams. Yeah. yeah. It, it would be very difficult to show that to John and say, this is what it is. And, and man, your mind would just be like, I don't know how to describe it. Yeah. You know, and, and that's where the angel was showing him all this to give him, like you were saying, at his time. And to the people that are receiving and reading or being read to this letter, they're showing the magnitude. Yeah. It's, 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 it's beyond our comprehension. We can't, think, yeah. we can't yeah. even imagine or, or, or like yeah. beyond what we can even dream. Any astronomy buffs here on the size of Betelgeuse? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like how many Earths can fit inside Betelgeuse? All of them? Just this absurd. absurd. I know, I know it's, I think it's larger than even uh, Alpha Centauri, which is pretty huge in itself. Yeah. I mean, it's red giant. So true story, um, we went to Nashville over the weekend. So going there, we stopped in the Germantown area to eat at Cracker Barrel, all right? So we're done, and I go out in my car, and I take little Isaiah with me, and we're sitting in the car, AC running, just kind of waiting for mom and kids and we're in the back seat together, and the headrests on the front seat were up, and then the two little bars made kind of a viewing screen, and I kind of held up, and I said, Isaiah, look, we're going through space, and it's really fast. And so he gets up there, and he looks, and he goes, we're going one. <laughs> and so fast we were going, he said, we're going one, and I go, whoa. And he goes, no. We're going 10, and I went, whoa, that's fast. And he goes, yeah. And then, and then he stops, and he goes, we're going the world. <laughs> that's what he said. That's the ultimate. That's the ultimate, you know. That's how fast his little, little mind could generate the idea of hyperspeed. We're going the world. I think this is what John is trying to. I think he, this is what's being told John, that this is mind-blowing glory. It is mind-blowing power, authority, things that are good. Now, this is just the first snapshot. Waiting, there's more coming. And evidently, there's a whole lot of activity outside the walls. The earth isn't just, it's not like that's no man's land. There's some magnificent things out. So it's going to be really good. All right. How, Philip, what you got? Oh, well, I was remembering the tools you have for us, and I was curious, any um, insight into possible, like, Gamatra numerology? It just seems like there's a lot of 12s here. Yep. And 12 yep. is a big number in, in Hebrew culture. Yes, so, it is. Um, yes, exactly. And that's very good. You know, 12 gates, all four directions. Uh, 144,000 multiples of 12. Mm -hmm. And actually in Greek, um, if we're gonna do a, a, a literal translation, it's not 1,500 miles long. It's 12,000 stadia. stadia long. So then what's a stadia? Well, there's, you know, in Attic Greek, a stadia was like 600 feet. 
and an Olympic stadium is 630.8 feet, you know, for one stadium. And, uh, and then there's the, uh, the third one, which I'm, I'm blank. And so technically, 12,000 stadia is about 1,414 miles or up to 1,550 something miles. So there's a variance. But the bottom line, Philip, there's a lot of twelves here uh, mentioned in, in one chapter. So <clears throat> we, uh, it, it is truly fascinating on what's going on and Logging in from California, which is really awesome. Okay. Also, there's one other yeah. thing I was thinking. Remember, your, your tabernacle back in the Old Testament was three different parts. Mm -hmm. And the priest, the high priest, the one that could only go into the Holy of Holies, wore the 12 kings. Yeah. That's where it's showing this, <clears throat> like you were saying, Jerusalem is this inner tabernacle. Yeah. Yeah. And he's going to be dwelling among us. That's what it was said in the earlier chapter. Yeah. And so we're all going to be. That's <laughs> right. That's our. That's our. We're we're in the same place that the, the priests were made back then, and he's yes. more glorious than that. Yeah. And, and, and so no that, that community. Yes. No rope around the ankle. <laughs> and this communicates acceptance. It communicates favor. It communicates an elite position given to commoners? <laughs> How absurd is that? That's grace. That's what it looks like when the undeserving and the unqualified are giving access as though they're elites. That's grace. And that's what's happening in the New Jersey. And Christ was the sacrifice for us to go in there. To make it possible. Right. And that's why the gospel is the foundation. It is the rock that we build our lives on. So, okay. Now, Let's appreciate, let's put it back in, let's take it back, first century, lots of persecution, lots of oppression. Uh, by the way, true story, uh, Peter Jezik uh, was arrested, uh, assumed to be a Christian because he was a white European, and he was thrown into a prison with ISIS prisoners. This is, you got to read this, this is an amazing story. And he gives his testimony at the, at the Voice of the Martyrs Advanced Conference. You can log on. You can watch the whole conference. It's amazing. This is what Peter said. And I get in there, and of course, there's no newspapers. There's no news. And so when he came in the prison, there were about 100-something uh, Muslim terrorists in there, and they wanted to know what's going on in the outside world. And he reported. He's, he, he thought about it, and he said, well, um, in France, there was an attack, and it killed 120 people by Muslim extremists. And Peter says it was a flat silence for a few seconds, and then all of a sudden, they all started screaming, Alu Akbar, Alu Akbar, praise to Allah. The vengeance was carried out on them. And he was in the prison cells with them. <laughs> Talk about an awkward moment. Talk about a clash of cultures when you don't fit in. Peter said he didn't fit in. And his story is amazing and how they lost how he lived his life. So appreciate that. Just for, there's a clash of cultures. John the Apostle, who sees, he doesn't fit in, right? The Christians in these seven cities, they don't fit in. This is a hostile world, and there, some of them have economic sanctions, they can't get work, some of them aren't getting their food rations, their daily rations of corn issued out of Rome, all these things. It's hard to be a Christian. And John sees this, and is reporting this, and this is going to be routed to the seven churches. You're at one of these churches, you're in Smyrna, you're in Philadelphia, you're in Pergamum, you're in Laodicea, and you hear this read to you. How would it impact you? All of a sudden, there's a whole lot of hope. All of a sudden, there's hope. Yeah. 
What else? How would this impact us? Remember, this is a letter of encouragement. This isn't a scary prophetic letter designed to make us all want to run and hide under a rock. This is a woohoo! This is a good letter. This gives us hope. <laughs> What's your question, Pastor Chris? I'm still having a little hard time understanding. Okay, Let's say that again, Janice. So hard, okay. Yeah, I'm so sorry, Janice. Yeah. Janice, the question is, what difference would this make in the life of a first century Christian struggling to get along, struggling to survive? What encouragement well, do they have? I think it makes a difference not only in the life of the first century believer, but in the life of the 21st century believer. Okay, how so? Because we, we know that this is not come to pass yet. This is still future prophecy and still future promises. So if we take these promises that this is going to be our reward, our glory, our, you know, our eternal salvation, and this is what this brings to us, it's amazing. It's amazing that we're going to be able to live in cities with streets of gold that are so pure, they're like glass. With stardust and sapphire and um, you know all these uh, I don't know some of these I don't even know emerald jasper but some of these mm -hmm. stones I don't even know it's a foundation of the city this is how much God loves us that He is going to have all of us who are written in the Lamb's book of life mm -hmm. will be in that city. Isn't grace beautiful? Absolutely. Thank you, Janice. Someone else, why does this matter? What encouragement could you know, a first century believer have? What could we have for encouragement? What do you think? I was reading Galatians today, and in Testament, 
And so they would have known about their forefathers' relationship with God, the tabernacle, how God desired to be with them in an intimate relationship, but his people, his nation, were faltering in place to place. And John is giving them the image of what God had all along, what God's place of worship would look like, his holy of holies for everyone. And it's just a beautiful, and you can't wrap your mind around it because it's so huge, but these Jewish Christians would have been like, this is the relationship that God has always wanted with me. This is him being with us, uh, no, no sacrifices, no transparencies to go through. Um, this is the Holy of Holies, this is the beauty, the glory, the splendor, and we get to partake in that. And that would be their hope, and our hope now, um, as we're living life. Absolutely, Philip, absolutely. So, okay, someone else on why this matters? Andrea? I'm actually, I'm actually struck um, a lot more by the contrast of what we, of what we have today and of what we celebrate and call, call beauty. And it, I honestly, I honestly just don't feel a lot of comfort reading this. And so the question that, the question that begs me to ask is, well, what's different about me from first century Christians because the image that he gives to them to comfort them is that he is going he's going to make them into a walled city with borders. And we don't know anything about that because none of our cities have any kind of borders. It's hard to tell where our cities start and, and where they end, you know? And yet his image of beauty is to have this exactly symmetrical, planned out city with gates that match up in certain places. And that would have been a reflection of what ancient people saw. Everywhere they looked, they had symmetrical architecture and these things, these things would have made sense to them. But that is so foreign to our visual experience as modern people. I mean, when we build a new building, we love it. You know, we say we love it because it's totally janky and asymmetrical and it doesn't make any sense. And it, I, honestly, I'm just looking at this and I'm kind of wondering where we've gone astray on beauty and what that means for us that we don't even care for things like that anymore. That's not a very encouraging thing to say. <laughs> Thank you, Andrea. Thank you. So, um, Andrea, a quick comment that you might appreciate. Some scholars say that the, uh, the New Jerusalem is a parody on the actual city of Babylon, which was very square and ornate in similar kinds of ways and had gates and all those kinds of things. And the city of Jerusalem actually had four gates, not 12. But some are saying it's a parody. It's mocking man's attempt at doing beauty, man's attempt at doing something that would be considered glorious, prestigious, or authoritative. Do you remember in Genesis 11, men tried to build a tower that would reach God? <laughs> and what a pathetic failure it was as men tried to go up but look at what happens when God comes down to us. It's magnificent. Uh, hey, Chris. Yes? This is Carrie. Okay. Hey. Uh, and I was thinking there's another place in the Bible that it talks about this almost the exact same assortment of gemstones, and it's in the high priest's breastplate in Exodus 28. Uh -huh. And it talks about the uh, the sardius, topaz, the sapphire, the agate, the ginseng, the amethyst, all of that, and it's almost like the exact same in how it the assortment goes. Yes. So I just thought that that was really interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
the names of the sons of Israel. They shall be like signets, each engraved with its name for the 12 tribes. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yes. This is a very Jewish text, very Jewish ideas. Um, something else, David? Let me, I was just thinking back then, remember a lot of your cities, if they didn't have walls around them, people weren't secure. It was a lot different than it is now. Yes. And if you didn't have a wall around your city, you really weren't, you didn't feel that, okay, I'm, I'm safe here. And could it could be just a symbolism of why God had him talk about that. Yeah, you got, there, there, there's these walls, but you don't have to worry about for security-wise. I wonder if it was a symbolism in that kind of a respect of... Yeah, I think so. Yeah. That it's a safe place. Right. That it's safe, so. Could someone else, uh, anything before we go on? Yeah, Jennifer. Okay. I'm thinking through thoughts, so I don't know if they make any sense yet, but I keep noticing the revelation and different parts of the Bible, the significance of names just so often, I mean, God named Adam and Eve right away, places had names. Um, in Revelation, the image of the name is called faithful and true, but then the name that he only himself knew, so there's something more to a name than just what people call you. And um, I'm trying to think, last person said something that went around with that too, but um, with my thoughts. Okay, well, let me, let me see. Okay, so my name, is is Jennifer, but knowing my name doesn't really give you the physical essence of me. It's just how you know it kind of represents me. It is me, but it's not, you know, solid flesh. And so I'm applying that. I'm just kind of meditating on that. I've had it for a while. What is the significance of names, individual names? But then, too, um, applying that to what we were talking about, like the stones and the measurements, and even thinking specifically of, of a pearl, it's like, so, trying to put it together, some things in this life now, in this world now, are almost like hints of the real thing to come. Well, I so, yes. when Jesus talks about life, you know, we talk about life, we think about being born, taking your first breath, living in the night, but Jesus, when he talks about, I've come to have life and more abundantly, he's talking about something more. And the same thing, water. We know what water is, kind of. I don't really understand it, but we're very familiar with it. And at the same time, Jesus talks about living water, a lot of water that will never make you thirsty again. So, in that sense, water that's more real. And then, um, thinking about these stones, is he talking about stones like we think of? Or is it like John sees this? all of a sudden he's like, he recognizes it because of stuff he's seen in creation, but now he's seen the real thing. And the same thing with the, the concept of this huge pearl, because I thought the same thing as a giant mollusk is going to make a pearl that big, if it's, if it's literal. But um, in this world, the pearl is formed by a little irritant, and the creature copes with the irritant, and it makes something beautiful. But what if the real thing is, is what is in heaven? And God has just allowed us to get a, a, a hint, a glimpse of the real thing that is already in heaven. You know, we just get little clues left for us. Yeah. So, anyway, there's some thoughts. Jennifer, I, I think it's brilliant. And, hey, Pastor. Uh -huh. I was listening to what Jennifer, this is Janice. I was listening to what Jennifer said, and I loved what she said, especially the part about, you know, these pearls. It's the irritant that makes something beautiful. Mm -hmm. So as we go through this life with our trials and troubles and all of this stuff, it's that irritant that is what forms us into something beautiful. Absolutely. And brings, and brings us into his holiness. Yes, yes. You know, Isaiah says that he will bring beauty for ashes. God can make beautiful things that are yeah. Maybe one more thought. Okay. Earlier, spending some time with some people in Romans, I was noticing the connections anyway, but just that continue that imagery of the pearl, the fact that there's 12 of them when they're entered to the city, 
And maybe it's getting carried away with symbolism, but you think about a tiny grain of sand and this massive, massive pearl that's such an integral part of the city, and there's 12 of them. And then I think about uh, Romans 8, verse, well, I'll start through 16 through, through 19. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, if children and heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs of Christ, Provided we suffer with him, his sin, in order that we may be glorified with him. Okay, Pearl. For I consider the sufferings of this present time, trying to grain of sand, not worth comparing with the glory that is revealed to us, massive, indescribably huge pearl. And creation waits with eager longing for the revelation of the sons of God. So, I never thought through all that before. This is great. Isn't it beautiful? Yeah, yeah, I love this. That's why I think it's neat. Think that that would symbolize the gate. That would be the door to enter. Yeah, yeah. It's beautiful. It is. It's quite yeah, beautiful. So good. Philip. Uh, the other thing I thought about, since we were talking about like foundational names, uh, you see a marriage of the time before Christ and the time after Christ. You see the twelve gates with the names of the tribes of Israel, and then you see the twelve foundations with the apostles' names of Christ. God. Is uniting all of his people before and after Christ in naming those. And then uh, thinking about some history too, city gates was where all the commerce happened. It's where all the elders met and formed. And so to have angels there kind of plays into what they would understand is when you would go and do commerce, you would be greeted by the, the elite of the day. And so having angels there also symbolizes something the first century that mm-hmm. the Jews would understand. That is so good. So, Jennifer. Yes. All right. Um, the Lord's Supper, right? The bread and the juice. Are you ready for your pop quiz? How's that for a hint? How's this for a hint, a clue of what's to come? A reminder? Yeah. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Absolutely beautiful thing. So let's take the bread and, and let's prepare for the Lord's Supper. Uh, the, um, the people who are inside this city and they are there because their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life are there by grace. And grace is what gets us in and grace is what keeps us in. And it is beautifully depicted in the Lord's Supper. Absolutely. So, in the night that Christ was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat. Let's do it now. Abba, Father, we take the bread and we remember your death for us. And this is a hint of what you accomplished for us on Calvary. And what's to come. In Jesus' name, amen. In like manner, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Take and drink from it all. Abba Father, we take the cup in remembrance of you. And in eating the bread and drinking the cup, we proclaim your death. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, Jennifer. Can you lead us a cappella on the doxology? That's going to sound really fun over Zoom. I think it's going to work. I think it'll work. Okay. 
Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you so much. All of you, thank you, Tammy, everyone being a part of it, Phyllis. Dory, all the way from California. Thank you for being on this. Yay! Thank you. Get out of there. It's a long way. Um, Rick and Carol, love you. So glad that you're here. So, everyone, have a wonderful night, and look forward to seeing you soon. Okay, bye bye.